White Rocket Entertainment. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Gasoline I smell? <laughs> Victims, aren't we all? My name is Gary Mitchell. I am, along with Joe Crow, the uh, director, co-work co-directors of the American Sci-Fi Classics track, which is where we are. Um, and I have been a fan of this movie since the comic. Uh, we are here yeah. to talk about The Crow, 25th anniversary. I actually did see the comic first, but we'll get into that. Uh, and we're here to have a panel about how it can't rain all the time, right? I was told there'd be smokes and road beers. Um, Joe? Joining me to my right to discuss this are... I'm Jonathan Williams. Um, I co-host a podcast called the Pro Wrestling Roundtable. Um, I have a blog that I haven't updated in four years called Wrestling with Pop Culture. <laughs> and the reason I haven't updated it is because I started working as a set dresser in the film industry locally. And I haven't had time to update my blog since then. Um, Will Price, uh, I'm just a fan of sci-fi, fantasy, comic book nerdiness, geekiness, goodness, and uh, love this movie. Fire it up! 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 Devil's Night is upon us again. Party, start a bunch of fires, make a little profit. When someone's dead, they can't come back, can they? 
Are you referring to anyone in particular? Daddy used to say, every man's got a devil. You can't rest till you find him. Winked at me before he jumped out a fourth floor window like he had wings. The crow is his link between the land of the living and the realm of the dead. So kill the crow. Call, call, bang, I'm dead! I felt how awful goodness I felt how awful goodness Woo! Where's my smokes and road beers? Um, After the panel. <laughs> it would make the panel a lot better. Do it, Cliff. I'm Cliff Booth. I'm the stuntman for Rick Dalton, and I kick Bruce Lee's ass. <laughs> I am Van Allen Plexico, actually, and I am the author of stuff like Lucian and... Little lightning comic and stuff like that and yeah uh crow was a movie that um had a big impact on me at a particular time in my life that a movie like that would have a big impact on me for various reasons we can get into and so i was very excited to get to talk about it because it's been a long time since i even watched it really and i thought man that's a movie i need to watch again so i'm glad it all came together and my name is melinda mock and let me see can you hear me yes, yes. all right my name is Melinda Mock, and you met my partner. We run a um, YouTube channel called Retro Blasting, where we talk about 80s pop culture. We do fully produced and historical sort of uh, analysis of a lot of our 80s pop culture stuff. And I also uh, am a co-host on a, the Dreamland podcast with my co-host back there, Aaron, standing next to mine. And um, so, yeah, just I love 80s, 90s stuff. And uh, this, I, this movie I've loved since it came out in 94, right when I was graduating high school. And it really has a lot of like personal meaning to me, and it's my favorite movie of all time. So, yeah. I like, well, kick off, Derry. This is a movie that if you see it at the right age, and it doesn't matter what that age is, it can be your age. That's it point. will hit you for life and have Damn an impact on you. I mean, it had an impact at the time, but I mean, even someone running into it now. Um, who here has first saw the movie within like the last five years, ten years? Anybody over there? Two? Okay. Don't be shy. Um, it will hit you and live with you. Uh, it has a lot of things to say, which we'll get into. Uh, like I said, for me, I discovered the comic book first from an article about it in, uh, I think it was Fangoria of all places, mm -hmm. talking about that this weird comic is being made into a movie. So I tracked the comic down, and it blew my mind. And then I saw the movie in the theater, and I saw it in the theater, and I saw it in the theater. I saw it 13 times. Oh, wow. I got obsessed, <laughs> which is another thing that I think happens. Um, and so I think what hit me most is the, the, the way it looks at mortality and what like, what's important. And when did you first see it and how hard did it hit you? And we'll start and go down. Um, did you see it in the theater or later? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I don't, I think just once, but <laughs> I was not familiar with the comic book until after the movie and then I tracked it down. Um, I think really what what uh, lured me in was the music mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, like even 
<clears throat> I've never been a huge Stone Temple Pilots fan. They're they're okay, but that song is really good. And like every song on there, some of them are bands I'm not really into, but that song's good. And uh, and music was a big part of the movie. And yeah. then I found out a big part of the inspiration for the look of the character, like different rock stars and stuff went into that. And um, but then yeah, the, the movie was great, and the comic book was also great, but very different. <laughs> um, so that's how I got into it. Yeah, I saw it in the theater when it came out. Uh, I think I saw it three times in its theatrical run. Um, of course, being a, I was, I've always been a big comic nerd, you know, for as long as I can remember. I knew of the comic, surface knowledge of it, but I hadn't read it, um, in, you know, until after the movie. Um, but I remember seeing the first trailer for the movie and just got blown away, you know, and like, okay, sign me up, you know. Um, but yeah, it hit me. It hit me in a lot of different ways. I mean, because it had a, to me, it had a. The, the great balance of action and heart, you know, really struck home with me. Um, you know, it wasn't just a, a, a revenge tale just for the sake of being a revenge tale. It had a lot of emotional depth behind it as well. And, of course, he mentioned the soundtrack. You know, I was uh, big into the, the 90s, you know, hard rock metal scene as well. Um, and, you know, some of the bands I hadn't heard of, but the song in the context of that movie, um, you know, made me a fan of, of that artist. So it's great stuff, man. So. Yeah, I saw it in the theater when it came out, and um, it had just been a couple of months since I had broken up with what at the time I thought was the love of my life forever. And seeing that, and, and I was, you know, just kind of obsessing over that and spiraling into depression and everything, and thinking, how dumb is this, but I can't help it. And then seeing Eric Draven come back from the dead because he loved a woman that much, I thought, see, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, and, because of that. Yeah, no, right. And the, and the tagline was like, love never dies. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And so it just, um, yeah, it instantly became one of like my top five, top ten mo- at the time, you know, movies. And, and just for that, I think, just for that simple message, all the rest of it are glorious details that we'll get into, but just the simple core message of, of the pureness of love and how you're willing, you know, it, you could come back just to avenge the person, you know, that was done so wrong just really struck me hard. Uh, yeah, so I had a similar experience where, again, I saw it, it was right when I was graduating high school in 90, like May of 94, I think is when the movie came out, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I had just broken up with my, what I thought was going to be the love of my life. Um, not, but thought, thought he was. And uh, so that whole love never dies thing really struck with me. Um, also, it kind of had that same theme as some other things like the movie Shocker, which, you know, not really on par with this movie, but I would say has sort of a similar thing of like transcending death and also a really killer soundtrack with some cool metal stuff on there, which, you know, I'm a huge metal fan. So, um, but this, this movie, I love the vengeance thing in it. I love, uh, I love Ravens. I love every, like literally everything about it. It's like, as you're watching, it's like, it's checking every box. I loved Bruce Lee. That was one of the big reasons I went to see the movie to begin with, was his son was in it. And so it was just sort of like, the stunts were amazing. The fight scenes were really, you know, awesome. It was just, everything was, was in line, so. Yeah, Brandon Lee's performance in this movie. Oh my gosh. so solid. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that does hang over the movie, the tragedy of his death. Because I am absolutely certain that if that had not happened, this this is you know he'd done like three other movies before this. Trouble Showdown, huh? 
laser mission. Laser mission. Oh, four. Excuse me. Thank you. I'm corrected. <laughs> I, I make mistakes sometimes. Um, there's the one he did with Dolph Lundgren, was it? Showdown. Yeah, Showdown in Little Tokyo. He's fantastic in that. But this is the movie I think that would have launched him into the stratosphere. Yeah, if he, if he had if he had to die, at least he went out with a masterpiece. True. Yeah. And I just just dawned on me the first time. Except for like little snippets, we never see him in this movie as anything but the crow. Yeah. You barely see him as there. Most movies would never go there and say, we're not going to show the character before. You know, any kind of superhero, I mean, it's not a superhero movie, but, you know, it's that same idea where you get a new identity and powers, right, and can, right. And can do vengeance type thing. The origin tale. Yeah, it is. And any movie like that, they're going to show you the character first for some length of time and then give you the transformation. And this movie just jumps right in on the in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. yeah if you you never backs, that's, that's it. it. No, he's always just always the crow. So So were they I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but were they going to film a lot of those non uh, crow shots like the last three days of shooting and then of course he died like I think he had three more days of shooting uh, yeah, when that... he was killed and so I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they had to sort of tweak the script a little bit and perhaps we would have seen a little bit more of him although I would it seems like the structure of the film narratively makes sense to to start where it does and go through flashback but from my understanding and someone can correct me if I'm wrong is yeah they were mostly done with all of his principal photography yeah uh, you know the, 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 I think one of the main scenes they had left and uh, trivia note one of the first uses of CGI technology yep. is when he puts on the makeup for the first time and stands in the window and the lightning strikes they had to digitally impose uh, his face over the person standing there which when I found that out later I was like wow because I didn't it's still seamless to me one of the other things they did was the little girl is more of a framing sequence that wasn't in the original yeah. script they they expanded her part so that she talks about him at the beginning and talks about him at the end and kind of pulls it all together. Whereas I imagine before it wouldn't have it would have been slightly different. And I thought that worked really well because it did. because again, since we're not seeing him as Eric, we're just seeing him as the crow. It's good to have an outside vantage point to tell us no, he's a good guy. You know, he's not some homicidal lunatic, although he kind of is. He's <laughs> but he has a reason he's a good guy. And a little girl telling us that is very believable. You know, as opposed to somebody else. Well, and I think, unless you had something to say, that's, I, that's one of the reasons I love both the characters of both her and uh, Albert, um, Ernie yeah. Hudson, because they do give us the view on Eric before, yeah. and some of the best you know, character moments in the movie are him interacting with the two of them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when he grabs her and pulls her off the street and talks to her for a moment, and, but I think my favorite is still, though, when he goes to see Albert at his house, he's, you still have your hat on. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you were talking about this yesterday. The movie's kind of a bummer in places. It's well, sad. I'm, I'm excited that we're up here actually talking about this movie because it's really hard to kind of tiptoe around like what the plot of the movie is because yeah. it's okay. really uncomfortable to sit up here in front of all yeah. of you and talk about what this, the plot, the, the yeah. reason is, why the character's doing what he's mm. doing. Yeah. Is, is, really is there anyone dumb. here who has yeah. not seen the movie? Good. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay. I mean, Spoiler alerts. Like, let's, alert I mean, it's just, you know, rape and double, double homicide right out of the gate is, like, kind of rough. There's the death of, you know, Brandon Lee. There's just a lot of stuff that's going on, and it's sort of like, I don't know, it, it's just sort of 
how do you talk about that in, in a constructive way so that we're not all just like super bummed when we walk back out into the convention? But the movie, I think that's why it resonates is because it doesn't shy away from those topics. You know, vengeance movies were huge starting, not starting, but definitely there was a huge surge of them in the 70s. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of had a few of them in the 80s, but this was sort of a weird new music video take on a vengeance movie mm-hmm. uh, with a cool soundtrack. So I don't know, it's sort of a unique thing. But I think it also balances out well enough to where it gives you that, the motivation, the, the proper hit, you know, the whole thing with him and Shelly and that kind of thing to where it's almost cathartic by the end of it, you know, right. to where you, you totally understand. And it's not such a, a huge bummer of a movie by the end of it. Yeah. And in a lesser movie, and there were many lesser movies in the cinema plot line, the, the violation of her would have been much more tawdry or blunt. The way they do it is horrific without it being exploitive. Yeah. Right. Glorified. And I've always said... And I love that they do that. In this movie, I, was, I describe this movie as, it's like if the Joker and Deadpool had a baby and he was a good guy. <laughs> That's good. Uh, He's a better Joker than many of the Jokers, you know. Well, uh, the 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 when he goes to see Fun Boy. Oh yeah, I love yeah, that sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, why would you die? Yeah. <laughs> He's telling the Joker. That is such a. I mean, that gives you so much of him right there. And then when he grabs the mother and drags her into the bathroom. Oh, right. And the mother's in the name of God. God. I mean, we could turn the whole movie into... Super funny material for us to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Or peanut addiction. Um, But yeah, it's... It's It is a revenge movie without being... It's a little exploitive, but it's not what I would call an exploitation movie. What are anybody's thoughts on that? Nobody? I mean, Come on, profound. Well, who would it be exploiting well, exactly? Um, I guess as I, I, I don't suppose, see it I suppose as with more exploitation movies, it's it's much more direct. It's much more vivid. You're seeing like the rape scene. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it doesn't yeah, really it doesn't go down. Do it doesn't really yeah, do that. It's not it's, a rape scene. Yeah. No, yeah. it's. I mean, you, it's upsetting for sure. Right. It's you know, and I'm depending saying, on what your it's not. I spit is. on your grave is what I'm saying. No, right, or I always forget the name, but what was the one where the guy's wife gets... Death Wish. Yes, thank you. It's not Death Wish. Right, you were going to say, yes. It's more like the uh, shower scene in Psycho or something, where you know what's happening, but you're not seeing it directly. Yeah, it's not the point of the scene. Right. Well, the point of the scene is to give him the ammo to kill right. the big bad at the end. Which oh, yeah. he does, and and yeah, and make you care about why is he doing this? Because otherwise, he's a psycho, like someone said. He's, he is kind of a psycho, but yeah, he's but a lovable I, I, psycho. The way exactly. they do it is is very well done. I said without dipping into that, um, and actually, it's heartbreaking to watch. But always watching those interviews with Brandon about the movie, he talks about one of the few movies he's made where he felt the violence was justified. Yep. 
I think I, I just rewatched the, the one interview that they did. I don't know if it was the one, but it was the one that I've seen several times with him on the set of this movie, um, which they were only filming from like February to when did he die? Like in March. March. So it he, was a quick shoot. He, yeah. So this couldn't have been long before he died. And he, he quotes a book that I wish I had memorized, but I didn't. But you can watch the, the clip on YouTube where he talks about um, how none of us, we treat life like it's a bottomless well. Like we have all the time in the world, but there's only going to be a handful of times where certain pivotal things that, that matter to us happen again in our lives. Like, thinking about like calling your mom or thinking about like a childhood memory that you had that really means a lot to you that's only going to happen a certain number of times more before you're gone and then like shortly thereafter he's gone and so it really hits you but the impact of his words are very beautiful and very meaningful um so so many things about brandon lee you know he was engaged to be married like what 10 days or something after the end of filming and so he got shot it was like in the middle of the night when they did the shoot and his girl his fiance comes and she's by his bedside and he passes away the next afternoon but the guy who wrote this comic was inspired by his own tragic tragedy of yes. his girlfriend and he yeah. was hit by a drunk driver and she was killed and so he was trying to find a meaningful creative way to mourn her loss and so that's sort of like you know and then the, in the movie you know they were going to be married and then so it's just like all this ripple effect of like the sadness levels it's like we get it like the, the irony there, is like smacking us in the face yeah, there are very few movies that are about loss and there are even fewer that are about loss that are done well and this is one of them well and it's also a huge metaphor for how do you deal with the loss yeah. You know, I mean, you can look at it, yeah. Literally, he's coming back from the dead to avenge he is, and Shelley's what, what was done to them, you know. But, I mean, you can definitely draw some parallels in, you know, how we deal with the loss of a loved one in general, you know. Uh, there's stages of dealing with the loss, and, you know, and it's a lot of it was represented there on screen, you know. And I thought it was interesting, too, that, that Obar said that he started working on the comic as therapy yeah. for the loss, and yet he found that the more he worked on it, the angrier he got. So it didn't really work for him, but it certainly created something great for everyone else, you know. So and I guess eventually he did deal with it, but it, yeah. during the time. Anger is a stage. It's a process, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's easy to get angry and stay angry. It's hard to get over it. Um, Wow, we got maudlin. <laughs> like I said. I'm so surprised. Okay, we talked so, about some so, violence in the movie, please. Yeah. So this, well, I wanted to say kind of on par with that. This movie, the, the aesthetic of it is so dark, which mirrors the comic book. And I know they kind of discussed maybe doing the, the comic was a black and white comic. Yes. And they kind of did that without doing that because they knew that it wouldn't sell in Hollywood to do a black and white movie with flashbacks in color. So what they did instead was they did the washout thing that Zack Snyder has become a huge fan of for whatever reason. And um, But they, they washed a lot of the color out and they only put in reds because red is a symbol of death and vengeance and all of that in film. And so um, it's very Gotham-y. Like, it doesn't feel like our world. It feels like it's kind of happening in another world, which gives a little bit of an okay to some of the stuff he's doing, I think, if it really actually looked like New York City, just like a normal night. 
that would be a little weirder, but because it's a little otherworldly, it gives it, like, it's okay. Some of those shots over the city, especially at the front, where it's obviously models, but they're so well done. Oh, yeah. It it feels like you're, like you said, like you're going into another world. Yeah. And... But what I want to know is who would win in a fight? The Crow or Batman? (laughs) The Crow will fight dirtier. You think? I mean, I can see Batman, like, using a battering and just taking out that crow. Yeah, but he can't die. <laughs> if you take you out the crow, you kill the crow, you kill the crow, you kill the crow. Well, yeah, well, yeah if someone tells bang. me about it, but I, I'm still going to figure that out. Batman yeah. would be doing research, and he would figure out that well, here's the, the thing. crow, and he'd be like, oh. Well, here's the thing. They'll fight, then they team up, they take out Top Dollar, who's working with Joker. That's exactly it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, and can we mention that cat? That villain, I... Um, Top dollar? Yeah. He's, I can't remember his name. He's in like... Michael Wincott? Michael Wincott, yeah. He's in like four things back then. He should have been, by law, in everything. He's so good. Yeah. And yet he's in that. He's in the horrible Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie. (laughs) And a couple other things. Um, Resurrection. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he he should have had a... He's a great character actor. He's a wonderful villain. He does that voice that you know nobody does. But the, the and scene of him in that suit with the sword. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I want to kind of go back to the set dressing for a second because that's what you do. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a second? How is there anything that spoke to you as setting that up? Um, that was definitely. World. I agree with what she said. Um, it reminded me of very much of Tim Burton's Batman, mm. which I think was better chord that struck with me because I was only a few years, well, five years earlier. Yeah. It seems like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, def- definitely, it's kind of like Batman. It looked like sets and models, like you said, but that didn't somehow, didn't take me out of anything. It immersed it you more it. than it took you out. Yeah. And they, they did employ a lot of the same techniques, like, uh, I, this didn't come up on the Batman panel yesterday, but... There were a lot of a lot of things in that where just the, the the costumes were all very drab colors. Everything was drab except for uh, you know like and this is, I'm talking about Batman right now. But there's a lady in the red dress. You know, at the, in the very first scene, um, this stands out. And then of course, Joker is very colorful amidst all that. And the Crow did a lot of that. Um, but there wasn't there were no colorful characters in the Crow. Yeah, everybody's in black. And you know, it's interesting, five years later, we got Payback with Mel Gibson, which is another movie like this where it's very monochromatic and it's in almost another world. Because if you watch, it's just like with The Crow, when you watch The Crow, you're like, what year is this exactly? And if you watch Payback, it's like they have rotary phones, but they have, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing where you can do these these violent crime stories and you just put them in like this this sort of idealized noir world and they inhabit that little space and it works there you know it doesn't have to work in our modern society it's in its own little world it's a deliberate timeless yeah approach to mm-hmm. kind of make it in any win um, so but now cycling back to characters um, yeah top dollar is in the comic, he's a henchman. He's basically, um, you know, fun boy level. Making him the villain and the way they did him as a villain, him and his sister are fascinating. Yeah. Um, and Creepy, I love the but way they play with 
is there magic? Maybe he's just crazy. You know, until you know, we see him crawl out of his grave. It's much more stronger in the comic where it's, is he crazy? Is there magic? Is there not magic? And I just love the way they did the two of them, though. Um, they're aesthetic. And I still want that snow globe. <laughs> I mean, and that again, that's a great economy of story to, of character building when it hit him with that snow. My childhood ended when my father told me you're gonna die. <laughs> so that's apparent. A lot of those things where he's just rambling about weird crap is just him making stuff up. That actor just making stuff mm. up out of his weird brain, which makes me again want to see him in more stuff yeah. where he gets to do that. Because I mean, that's I would love to just see the inside, not literally, but what's going on in that brain to like come up with some of that stuff. <clears throat> well. Similar to that, what, if, what did the director ever do? Again? All I know is Dark City. Troyes, uh, yeah. Alex Troyes. Well, I, we, I, we, yeah, we have did, to, uh, the, the death of uh, Brandon put a pall on a lot of them's careers. Yeah. Especially because it was a stupid death. Yeah. Um, it was senseless. And it, it should have been, it should not have happened. And a lot of people blamed the director for not following safety. There's a, a lot of different stories. The basic gist, from what I understand, is it was they needed a, they had a prop gun for the shot. They needed a shot of looking down the barrel of the gun and to see the bullets in the chambers. There are prop bullets they make that have no power. But they they're didn't real have bullets. Any. Mm -hmm. But they're real bullets, but no yeah. power. Mm -hmm. However, they didn't have any on set for that scene, so somebody just popped the lead out of one bullet, shook out all the powder, didn't get the primer out. They did the shot, left it in there. When they pulled the trigger, the primer went off, which is, and so it fired not as strong, but it still fired. Yeah, so, and that's what shot him in the stomach and killed him. Mm. Now, that's my understanding. I've heard a few different versions, but most yeah. of them are consistent on those basic facts. I actually met a, a props guy who knew the props guy. Okay. That, and that's pretty close to what he said, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there they, were accidents on set. There were a lot of accidents on set. There was, like, um, a guy drove a, a truck through the set. They also got hit by the storm of the century. I don't know if any of you guys lived down here in the south during that 1993, but... It was pretty bad. There was like oh, yeah. crazy snow in like Florida and Alabama, but then up in, in North Carolina where they were filming this movie, it just, they had tremendous winds, so it took out a huge portion of the set as well. Um, so those two things damaged a lot of the set. Then you've got like... Somebody got caught on fire, right? Yeah, well, there was also the guy the very first day in February, I think it was like February 1st, the guy is like with a bulldozer and he hits a bunch of power lines and electrocutes himself. And so he lived, but he was in ICU for a long time. And another guy got a, you know, a screwdriver stuck all the way through his hand. And just all these weird, freaky accidents that people, especially in retrospect, love to say, oh, well, the movie's cursed and the Bruce Lee curse is on the movie and on Brandon Lee and all this kind of stuff. But I, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm a nurse and I can tell you that we put a lot of things in place, like to double check really basic things because it's the basic stuff that will get you if you don't check it. And that primer thing is exactly the kind of thing that you would almost want a, a written down 
backup person checking it, like write it down and say, yes, I verified this on this date and time with two people because, yeah. you know, people's lives are at stake. So. Yeah, and from my understanding, one of the reasons they filmed in North Carolina is North Carolina is a non-union state, so they were not required to have like a safety person. Right. Up. But the stunt guy, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he had been in the business for a long time it wasn't like he was a newbie that didn't know what he was doing he worked on miami vice which is you know long like 10 good 10 years before this so i mean he'd been on some pretty big projects so i think it's just an oversight thing of yeah. people not double checking simple mistake yeah, yeah which is always the most frustrating thing and he also a lot of people think he died instantly but he didn't no, it took him he was they he was in surgery for like six hours and I mean, not to go in depth, but I mean, he apparently died of uh, DIC, which if any of you know what that is, it's just like you just, your body can't clot. So all of the stuff, that all the surgery that they did, it's just, he just, all of his blood, they gave him a tremendous amount of blood. And luckily his uh, fiance was able to be with him. But again, hey, we're in bummer territory. So (laughs) Gary. (laughs) Bring us back here. So it's kind of hard not to. Who's everybody's favorite character? I'm gonna start with you. If, is it Eric or is it someone else? Um, well, I I do love him um, and and the crow itself because I love animals too. Yeah. But uh, I I almost love Ernie Hudson's character because he's sort of like a lot of our way. I think he's supposed to be our everyman. He's yeah. kind of our way into the movie, and he's a good person. He's a true like the crow is not really a hero. But Ernie Hudson's character really, really is a hero. Like, he's truly a good person who's trying to do the right thing. But, uh, so I think he's just very likable and awesome. You're a beat cop, Albert. Be a beat cop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's that same guy you see in everything from Die Hard to, you know, whatever. Exactly. He's the he's the, the street-level cop that is our entryway in. I, no, I agree. The, the, when Brandon is the crow, when Eric is the crow, he's a force of nature. There's not, a, I mean, it's almost like he's inside his head watching this body do these things, you know, that he necessarily wouldn't have done. I don't think Eric Draven, from what we little we know of him, would have, you know, done all the things that he does as the crow. It's the crow making him do this, and he's kind of getting a kick out of it. He's, he's, he's glad that he's, you know, getting this revenge. But I guess, you know, I think my favorite bad character, as much as I like Top Dollar, I think in some ways my favorite bad character is the pawn shop owner just because that actor is so yeah. fun. Oh my God, yeah. He's so enjoyable. I, the thing I love about him is that he's always so defiant till the bitter end. You know, like he knows where he is in the pecking order and he knows that he's not the top or even the middle of the pyramid of bad guys, but yet he'll insult and call names and cuss the people above him like that and then he's like oh wait don't kill me whatever like, you son of you know he, he just instantly <laughs> reverts to that I'm gonna go after you and it's just so it's so entertaining think, that guy's great I think it's because as a pawn shop owner he's used to having leverage on people so yes. it's easy to default back into that Yeah. and he does this as a good signifier of the greed and the level you can get trapped in at that level of society and I think it's interesting too that the crow doesn't kill him yeah the crow puts him in a position where his own people kill him where his boss kills him so it's like you know the crow kills the ones that were directly responsible but he he's he just sort of contributed to the problem and so he pays for it 
because of his associations, not by actual vengeance. I just thought that was interesting, yeah. Are we, can we also, like, can I have a good guy and a bad guy? Because yeah. I really love Tony Todd more than anything. Oh, Tony Todd is I love so him in everything so he's in yeah. ever, so just shout out to Tony Todd. Just don't say his name three times. But he's barely in it, though, is the thing. I mean, no, I know, but he's, it doesn't matter because yeah. as soon as he comes on screen, Tony Todd! He, he carries a massive presence yeah. in anything he's in. Um, I mean, it, it's between Ernie Hudson and and, uh, and Brandon Lee, really, you know. Uh, but I'd have to give the edge to Brandon just because the way he portrayed that character, you know, he spoke about the duality when the crow flips the switch and takes over. I mean, it's, it's pure insanity, you know. I mean, when he, when you know, when he goes to the apartment, he's laughing at the hole in his hand, you know, or or when he's taking out the guy with his own knife, and you know, he just yells at him to try again and try harder, you know, or when he takes such delight in watching the car explode as it rises off the tier, and he, yeah, which is something I, Eric yeah. never would have done. I got right. my favorite line. I, I've said some other lines, but I hadn't thought about this. I've always my favorite. There's so many right in this movie for a oh, movie yeah. that's like an hour and twenty five minutes long, practically. There's the where he says, uh, move and you're dead. And I say, and I say uh, I'm dead. And I, and I move. Or he kind of dances Favorite off. Favorite line, you know. too. That's but, so good. Yeah. Then, At least he didn't do that walking into the winch. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then, like, when, when Eric takes over and it's just Eric talking to whoever, you know, whether it be the girl or, or Albrecht in his, in his apartment, mm-hmm. it's so earnest and it's so, so... I mean, just so beautiful the way it's all portrayed. You know, like that scene in his apartment is probably my favorite scene in the entire movie, you know? Because, you know, not only, you know, he has, makes the joke about smoking cigarettes, how it'll kill him, you know? And then, you know, he, he has that wonderful line about how nothing's trivial, you know? How that, everything, yeah. I mean, that hits me every single time. You know? That's a line that's carried me through life, and I try to always kind of. Live I mean, by that. everything matters, you know? Or when, when he's going to go to leave and he says, I think I'll just use your front door. You know, and the way that line is delivered just gets me every single time, you know, because right before that, we just saw him on this murderous rampage, you know, and then he goes and has this just beautiful human moment with somebody else. And uh, it's just it's just awesome to behold. So I got to go. I got to go with Brandon. Um, let's see. I think I'll say, uh, I can the character's name, but top dollars lover slash lover sister. Yeah, <laughs> mostly just because of the odd role that she plays in the whole story and she's rather attractive too yeah. <laughs> yeah she is very much the mystic side the other i mean because we have obviously eric and the right and and the crow and everything is you know there is magic in this world it's a brutal dark magic but it's there and that she's aware of it she's doing the weird stuff with the eyeball yeah. she's the first one she's always standing off to the side you can see her putting things together that nobody else is like when eric shows up for at the big meeting you know and she's we get that one shot of her like wearing that weird head thing <laughs> well we don't know a whole lot about her but we know enough to where we want to know more right right and I love it when they do character stuff like that. And like another thing I love is when we were in the car and Tony Todd's in the front, Top Dog's in the middle, and she's at the back. It's a beautiful visual setup of their relationship with those characters. And that's one of the things I do love about this movie is there is so much subtle world building going on. Mm-hmm. In such like a short that. time, they cram yeah. so much in in such a subtle way in a short time. Yeah, it, very efficient. It very much is the epitome of the you know show don't tell. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
I kind of like Skank. <laughs> he is just such a loser. Yes. Hanging out with these guys. I love Skank. I love his, you know, the, what is this happy horse shit when a T-Bird gets kidnapped? Or the, hey, Skank. Skank over, over there. Skank over there. Or the oh later, my god. The, and then he came in, and he did We should videotape this and watch it later in slow, slow motion. motion. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about him that is just like, this guy is a trip and a loser. Yeah, it's one of those things where when you're watching it, he's kind of annoying, but you think back later and go, that was an actor doing a performance. Dang, that was actually, you know. Watch, yeah. a, watch an interview with that actor and see how articulate he is. Mm. And that makes that whole thing mm. so much funnier yeah, and so much more impressive because he really does come off like a cokehead. <laughs> I mean, not in real life, I mean in the movie. Yeah, in right, the movie. Right. So, can we talk about the soundtrack? Yeah, I was about to say, let's talk about the music. I'm reading because, your mind. Yeah. It's like I need to have a cool headscarf. <laughs> or some um, And some eyeballs. Yeah. I, I will say to this day, every time a discussion of music soundtracks come up, I say this is the best soundtrack. You know, there's a difference between score and soundtrack. I think we all know that. The score is the, the incidental music and everything. The score is also really good. Graham Revelle mm -hmm. did a fantastic score. I have it on CD. Yeah. But this soundtrack, I mean, the look and the sound of this music locked in the goth movement. Can we admit that? Yep. Hundred, yeah, but can we also just, I have to just and, say And in a locked in 90s underground. Right. How, on a scale of one to 10, how frustrating and weird is it that this movie got Ghost Rider on the soundtrack, but Ghost Rider has never had that on the soundtrack. It's like the best Ghost Rider song ever, and it's really frustrating to me. There are a lot of things about the Nick Cage Ghost Rider movies that have problems, and that is one. I know that's a very that's a drop in the bucket, but it's like you know, it's like when you're watching Iron Man, the very first Iron Man, and you're waiting for Ozzy, and it's like he doesn't it doesn't happen until the end, and you're like, man, like literally, that's the reason I watched the movie. So. <laughs> Super bummed. And I also want to talk about the artists they picked because they all picked people that were huge in the college and underground market. Then one of the one of the many problems I have with the sequels is that, you know, the second one, they went with all big name, popular, mainstream rock. But this one, you know, Jane Sibbery, uh, Jesus and the Mary Chain. Helmet. I mean, Helmet. I mean, there's the biggest name, I think, on there is STP. Well, Nine I don't know. Nine Inch Nails was huge. Well, yeah, and the Nails. Cure was this, also really yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah, all three I of them. I think that song is partially why Nine Inch Nails just got big because that that was around the same time as a Downward Spiral. Yeah. I don't know if it was before yeah, well, after, but it was Downward yeah. Spiral had already come out, came out like around '92, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And the music is so interesting. Pretty Hate Machine is what I'm talking about. With he, him putting on the makeup to burn. Yeah. Yep. Is Pure iconic. Yeah. yeah. And then him running across the rooftops to the Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah, I mean, the movie and the music is are tied completely together. I mean, there's not a song in there that I think that isn't important to the film. I, I would say I hate one of the songs. Which one? I just want to stir up controversy, but I really it. do hate it. Uh, go for it. What Guess which it? one it is. You said her name first. Oh, Sibri? That is the worst song in the world. <laughs> it's just very shrieky and off-key. It really bothers me. I never actually never heard of her. Okay. Um, so I was really happy it was the last song on the album because I just the CD ends with the song right before that. <laughs> Done. I just take it out. We'll make you a custom mixtape. <laughs> Aww. Else want to talk about the music? Well, I'm curious if anybody knows, was that song 
written for the movie, or was that line in the movie taken from the song? That's a good uh, question. Good question. I, I've Does wondered that before. Because I don't actually. That's something I should look up, but I don't prepare. <laughs> I would imagine that she wrote it for the movie. But I think she did. That is a complete guess, and I don't know. I think a lot of the songs were, well, some of them were cover songs, but a lot of them were written or recorded specifically for that soundtrack. It wasn't just like a B-side or a song that a band had recorded and didn't put on an album. I think a lot of it was specifically for that. And um, I think, I know at least Trent Reznor was a fan of the comics. I think a lot of the other bands might have been too. Well, I've been a huge Stone Temple Pilots fan from day one, and um, but there's a story that I'm trying to remember now that um, that wasn't supposed to be. It's um, yeah, it was plush, right? Maybe a different STP song. And okay. They ended up with that one. That oh, that, you know what it was? Yeah, it was something about death. Yeah. And they said, oh, let's don't use that now. It was dead and blue. Yeah, yeah, and that oh, was wow. kind of like yeah. So they said, let's do a different one instead. And uh, and 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 plush is probably my favorite song they did anyway. So that's fine. Sorry, text from one of my employees. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I thought we were your employees. No, you're my guests. Oh. <laughs> I treat you nicely. <laughs> Note to self, don't worry, forget Yeah, y'all are my subjects. <laughs> I don't let power go to my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, so I think if I had to pick a song that was my favorite off the soundtrack, it's, it is, I think, Burn. I mean, it, it's like picking a baby. It's like, you know, it's a Sophie's Choice set yeah. question. You know, except for you. We know which one you'd let go. <laughs> well, I'd know which one I'd let go, but I don't know which one I'd pick as my favorite. Yeah, which, if you I had to I do love The Cure, and I love Nine Inch Nails, and I love Rollins. I don't love a lot of the other bands, and I don't love the individual songs, but what I love is that the, the soundtrack, mood, especially if you listen to it in order, it really kind of tells its own story and it kind of works as a cohesive piece uh, as an album which I know is not something that modern people do but you know I'm old so like I listen to the album in order even though I could have shuffled the tracks I always listen to that album in order yeah and it just cut off that last song but (laughs) I mean I know that's not popular but I I guess I just think that it's more of a a a whole piece as opposed to the individual components so it's hard to lose Mm -hmm. one aside from the last, or pick a favorite. Mm-hmm. So you're not picking is what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I think she said The Cure first. I mean, I, The Cure, <laughs> I, I do love The Cure song. I'm going to agree with Gary. It'll get me in his good graces. Okay. Oh, you already were. Oh. Van? No, Stone Temple Pilots, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm there with him. Uh, big Empty. Uh, of course, I was a, a big STV fan, you know, from the first album. And then uh, they played Big Empty on the trailer. And, uh, like I remember, I, it, it and always you couldn't be, escape that song on the radio. It, right, it was always etched in my memory that shot in the trailer. They show the shot from the big gun battle at the club where he's leaping over the table as that song plays, and I'm just like, oh, come on, you know. But but yeah, that song. And I do love that they actually did get Thrill Kill Cult in there performing. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And there's a crowd surfer in that scene that a lot of people thought was True Reznor. Oh, really? He looks like him, but it's not. Him. Mm. Well, at least that's what Trent Reznor said. The 90s were great, though, because a lot of guys look like Trent Reznor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 90s, it was a thing. He had on all black, and he had, like, shoulder-length black hair, so... Yeah. yeah. Pale skin. 
right. So which one would you pick? Um, that, that is a hard one. Uh, I'll go with the Pantera one. The Pantera one's good. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is you, the Pantera, one that has awesome. the shortest snippet in the movie. We just hear it on that one car but, background. But all the right? songs yeah. on the soundtrack are in the movie. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, they so are all in there. It's somewhat rare. Isn't it? It's very rare. A lot yeah. of times, well, mainly you get like that little snippet and it's in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone mentioned music videos earlier because this was an era when music videos were still a thing and MTV still played them. And this movie is part of that wave when music video directors were starting to get their shot at doing movie direction. And so it is very much in that same vein. And so in a way, the movie is very 90s, but is still kind of timeless. But you can definitely still tell when you're watching it, it's the 90s. It's not as 90s as like Hackers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing is as 90s as Hackers. No, it's not. I challenge anyone to find a more 90s movie. You should do that on your podcast, the most 90s to 90 in the 90s. Wow. Well, I'm already going to do Spice World. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty 90s, too. Yeah, there you go. So we're running close on time. we got about 15 minutes left. Is there anything on the, the movie that you wanted to talk about that we haven't hit yet? And I'll start with it on this one. Uh, no. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> that club fight scene. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Like the the escalation of the whole thing is just a work of art to me. You know, when he first walks in, introduces himself. You know, I just want him. You know, and they all they all mow him down, and then he goes from two guns to fist. Here comes a sword. He's flying. He's flipping. I mean, he takes out every single last person in that entire 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 room. Then of course, Top Dollar being a great bad guy, he gets the heck out of dodge. Right. You know, to live to fight another day. That's but, why I have minions. Go right. fight. <laughs> but the way that scene was choreographed and shot and lit, you know, with the music going on, um, it was just, it, it's a work of art. Um, and I, I can watch it day in, day out. I love it. I think for me, what really struck me watching it again, I actually, <laughs> I watched it on the airplane flying down here from St. Louis, and I kept thinking the people around me were like, what the hell is he watching, you know, because all the blood and violence and gore and everything. I had the headphones on, but still, you know. Um, it's, it, the thing that amazes me about this movie is that it's so short, but it doesn't feel short because they get everything in, and I think it's because every frame, every scene is important. There's no fluff in this movie. There's no bloat. It's it's streamlined, and uh, you know, I mean, it may be partially because of necessity because Brandon had died, you know, and so they had to kind of recut it to be the to be the story, the little girl telling the story more or less. And, and that's the other thing, too, is we, I don't think we, we give enough attention to the story of the little girl and her mom. Yeah. Because that humanizes I – mean, if the whole thing was just the crow killing people, it would be pretty bleak. But you get some hope in there, too, that not every – I mean, like, Shelly's dead. Eric's dead. There's vengeance, but they're still dead. But somebody does have a happy ending, and that's the little girl and her mom. Yeah. yeah. And so the moment, crow does some good. The moment at the breakfast when yes, so yeah. when she says, I, "I was never good at his mommy bullshit anyway," and the she kid jumps realize up, it. she realizes it. Yes. In a lot of other lesser movies, it would have been ended pretty much there. But the kid going, "No, wait, my mom's actually trying to reach out to me." Yes, it's that was huge. Moment. And again, and it happens in just a 
few seconds. It's amazing. They're so econ uh, economical. Well, I like that scene as well in that it's not like an instant 180-degree turnaround. Right. They show that it's it's going to take some work. It's a work in progress, yes. you know, so let's build this thing together. You know? Yeah, and, there's, and you're right. There's, there's no guarantee that they had a happy ending. But for that moment... There's hope. Is, there's hope, and that's all you can say, yeah. Well, another interesting thing about that is the, the girl and her mother is not at all part of why he's back. Mm -hmm. and it's like he's on a mission, and once he accomplishes that, he goes he goes back. But then that, because he takes on this little side mission, sort of, doesn't that end up hurting him? Some, I forget how, but... When she gets kidnapped. Yeah. And that that's that sets up the, the final confrontation. Right. Yep. So it's like this thing he's not meant to do, and he gets punished for punished it. Punished for it. But then that's ultimately the only good that comes out of the whole thing. That's good, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I love the cool, creative ways that the crow kills each individual bad guy. Uh, Somebody today, stuck his knives and all his organs in alphabetical order. Yeah. <laughs> that dude's good too, by I the way. I love the. Uh, it's very Sandman. If any of you've read the Sandman, it's yeah, fun. He always it. came up with like the best possible, meaningful way to kill this person to reflect their own evil back at them in their death. Um, I love that. I love the mirroring of. Die Hard uh, when, when Brandon Lee is walking across the top of that table and they're shooting and that whole it reminds me so much of that scene in Die Hard where yeah. it's like the guy's on the table John McClane's under the table so it's kind of oh, flipped yeah. but it's, yeah. it's kind of different um, I, I love the way that they used the, the birds like to sort of make it even more goth and like mm -hmm. um, the scene where he breaks through the window and then that bird flies in over his shoulder the, the cinematography of that is just absolutely amazing and working in such a dark environment they talked about Brandon Lee and the other cast having to be outside in the rain because they were using rain and mist to kind of make it more washed out, pun intended, and, and kind of dark and dreary. But it was February in North Carolina, and it was oh. like, if it mm. wasn't raining, they were making it fake rain on him with no shirt, no shoes, and just jeans. So he's like, you know, staying up all night and crashing in the morning. And it's just like, I love the fact that they were willing to go that, that distance to sort of make it look super goth and super dark. Um, but it's really rich in the colors as well. So I could talk all day about this movie. Yeah. And, and for me, it's that, that ending fight climax. I love that it's not just he shoots him or he stabs right. him. It's the whole the 20 hours of pain mm -hmm. all at once, yeah. all for you. Yep. That was a great idea. Yeah. That's good, good writing right there, absolutely. Then they set it up. Yeah, they set yeah. up that, I guess it's called psychometry, where you get the memories from picking up objects. They set that up very well, mm. and I love that. All right, so we have about 10 minutes. Is there anything in the audience? Anybody have any questions or comments? So we're gonna, and we're going to work our way over. So, you. so I guess my question is, um, so I, guess I read the comic after having seen the movie, but like this is in the era before everything that's a comic book comes to like Ninja Turtles was the only one, but they had the television cartoon and the toys and everything kind of backing them. Pro, the Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> it wouldn't have been that surprising, really. Oh, Lord. Does anybody know, like, what kind of difficulties or whether or not this was, like, greenlit all the way or whether there was, like, a big struggle to get this on the screen? From my understanding, it was, uh, we can get this cheap and we can make it cheap. And it was probably somewhat uh, motivated by 89's Batman, and then I think the Batman Returns had already come out in, what, 92? 
too. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there those, was a big push for comic I mean, properties. Comic book movies were not what they are now, Sorry. but Burton had certainly started paving the way into that. And this was a pretty low budget movie that I think they thought they could kind of have maybe a part part of that profit margin by right. doing something. Well, like at the time that. as well, Miramax and Dimension were. Yeah. We're doing a great job with independent and smaller budget, you know, because I mean they birthed Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, you know. So they were they were nurturing those relationships with those yeah, at, smaller films, smaller filmmakers, you know. Yeah, at the time, Miramax, if you could make them a movie cheaply, yeah. But it bounced around some. It went to a couple of studios before Miramax ended up with it. It was it was, and it went through several rewrites. And I think Obar wasn't happy with it. He he has later said he likes that it did really well and it made his life. But when they were making it, he thought, oh, they're messing it up. And then because it it diverges significantly from his vision, yeah. But weren't yeah. they also going to go a weird, weird direction, like have Michael Jackson as yeah. the crow? That he, uh, Michael Jackson I, tried to get in a lot of problems. <laughs> but I, I think they were trying. To say, like, that's he's a whole a, other thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I read that in a number of places that he was like considered just because he was able to dance and the music part. And I think that the studios, the studio heads, will do glommed onto that idea and just. Well, what, a, a what a different movie that wow. would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. Soundtrack too. No. Wow. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. I know we, we wouldn't know what what would have come from this movie. You know, had Brinkley not died from it, but hypothetically, you think. The movie would have had the same impact it does today if we had the Castle Rock. I, I don't I think do. it would have had it. It was. I think it still would have been a big hit. I don't know if it would have as much emotional resonance. It's kind of like Dark but Knight. It's still, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. He plays a similar character in a way, and it's and it's a similar fate. And it was a big deal when it came out because he had died. Yeah. yeah. I think it got a lot of publicity at the time because of that, but I think for... But there was also, I remember seeing a lot of uh, internet and regular reviewers, when it was announced it was actually coming out, they were upset. They were like, you you can't show this, he died making it. And they were angry that it was coming out, so... It it, it was the 90s. You know, so they didn't say that about The Dark Knight at all, I don't think, so... Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, I believe you have, yeah, as I'm working my way over. Yeah, the, uh, talking about the different versions of it in the Blu-ray special features, the bar does an interview and he actually says that the first piece you're against would be one of the biggest music that's part of the projects. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was talking okay, about. Okay, the musical. You know, it's coming. <laughs> Everything's being turned into a Yeah, I can't see it. Doesn't he say something like, I'm trying to think, I, I read this I know article. Not, I'm just saying. No, I, By the way, if you're interested, this is a, this just came out. The whole story about, yeah. It, it, it seems like he says something to the effect of that he took. What you got there? This is Horror Hound has a whole big 25th anniversary on it on the, on the Crow. Oh, I got to find it's, that. It's out. I got picked up at Barnes & Noble a couple weeks ago. Um, Barnes & Noble? But um, I feel like he says something like he, he took a, yeah, he turned down some deals that were just terrible, but he he took the one he ended up taking just because he really needed the money. He was broke or whatever. And, yeah, and, and so. also if you go look at interviews, Obar has a really complicated relationship with the property even his own comic and i mean he's very conflicted on it he's gone back and forth on he i know he was here one year and i'm talking like 2003 he was here in 99 yeah he was here in 99 they screened the third i think it was the third one 
Yeah. But I remember he was here and he was like, he wouldn't sign anything of the pro. He, you know, I mean, he was, he had some posters and things he was selling, but he would not sign them. Is that that's cool? Yeah. So he's, I, I'm, now he, he came around eventually. I have an autographed print, but I mean, because I'm, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's a complicated relationship. But yeah, he's, as I said, if you look through his interviews, it's, his relationship with it is complex. Is putting him out. Uh, yes. I'm just gonna throw this out there. Uh, what were your uh, opinions on the City of Angels? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. How much time do you Probably have? Probably should have led with that. Uh, when I went to see it, when I went to see it 13 times in the theater, I have a friend with, with me 10 of them. So when City of Angels coming out, we were both very very excited, and we went and saw it opening weekend. We walked in saw the movie we walked out there were people walking past me that were wearing some distinctive clothing that may have been of a goth nature so they stuck out we went back to my friend's car and she and i sat there and tore the movie to shreds as we were going over it this was a horrible idea why did they do this how did they do that we were sitting there so long i look up and i see people leaving and i realized we had watched, spent longer tearing the movie apart than we spent watching it. <laughs> I hate that movie. I still haven't watched any of the other ones past it. I was going to say, I can deal with two a lot better than the next one. But does anybody like City of Angels in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, if you like it, raise your hand. We will not judge you or throw you out, but, you know, if you love it. And here's the thing, classic track, love what you love. Don't let anybody else's opinion change yours. Yeah, I don't. I don't absolutely hate it. I'm not Gary's level of disgust, but to me, it, it feels more like a cover band doing a bad cover of an excellent song. Like it seems like they're just going through the motions of this is what makes a crow movie. Check the box. Check the box. Check the box. And there was no there was no heart and soul behind it. Felt to me like they were trying to capitalize on the popularity of the original. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, I don't even remember the plot. I, I don't remember, remember it either. I watched so. it that one time and I absolutely hated it. Yeah. I used to do anything else with anything other than the original. And he, he mentioned the screening and it just spurred the memory. I was at that screening in 99 of the third one and it was just weird. You know, and I got done with that and I'm like, oh, I, think I'm, I think I'm good. First yeah. one's good for me. Well, it was going to be a theatrical release. And then it became straight to DVD. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember how I got tricked into that. I got the chicken ball. But I <laughs> never, ever again. And part of it was that Obar said he wouldn't ever let them, anybody, him or anybody else do Eric and Shelley again. They were done. And so yeah. anything else done in that world had to be other characters that we didn't know or care about. So you had to and that's start what's kind of frustrating is because I yeah. kept seeing and even other people have done spin offs and books and comics and every time I hear here's the idea, I'm like, that's an interesting concept. That's I would like to see that take and then oh it's like they can't grasp what the heart of and the spirit of the original and there was a made for TV movie that had this the big yellow snake. I don't remember. And there was the one with David Boreanaz. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. They were gonna make one with Jason Mimosa, but yeah, and there was. A, yeah, they yes, were. I called him that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, somebody remind me. Did the TV show actually happen, or am I yeah. imagining? Yeah, okay. it, it, it came on at like two a.m. I had to set my VCR recording and stop before the movie. All right, so we are pretty much out of time. I do want to thank everybody for coming.
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.